um, scripture reading today is from Proverbs. Um, we're reading a number of passages, and we're going to start with Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11, and end with Proverbs 26, verses 13, 14, and 16. You can find text printed in, on page 6 in your bulletin as well. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. The fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. A sluggard buries his hands in the dish, who will not even bring it back to his mouth. The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him, because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. A sluggard says there is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. Buenos días. Hoy vamos a leer del libro de Proverbios en la página 7. Anda perezoso, fíjate en la hormiga, fíjate en lo que hace y adquiere sabiduría. No tiene quien la mande, ni quien la vigile, ni gobierne. Con todo, en el verano almacena provisiones y durante la cosecha recoge alimentos. Perezoso, ¿cuánto tiempo más seguirás acostado? ¿Cuándo despertarás de tu sueño? Un corto sueño, una breve siesta, un pequeño descanso cruzado de brazos y te asaltará la pobreza como un bandido y la escasez como un hombre armado el que labra su tierra tendrá abundante comida pero el que sueña despierto es un imprudente el perezoso ambiciona y nada consigue el diligente ve cumplidos sus deseos el camino del perezoso está plagado de espinas pero la senda del justo es como una calzada el temor del señor conduce a la vida Da un sueño tranquilo y evita los problemas. El perezoso mete la mano en el plato, pero es incapaz de llevarse el bocado a la boca. La codicia del perezoso lo lleva a la muerte porque sus manos se niegan a trabajar. Todo el día se la pasa codiciando, pero el justo da con generosidad. Dice el perezoso, hay una fiera en el camino, por las calles anda un león suelto. Sobre sus goznes gira la puerta, sobre la cama el perezoso. El perezoso se cree más sabio que siete sabios que saben responder. Thank you, Leila and Oscar. Well, we're continuing in our study on the book of Proverbs, this topic of wisdom, and we've been looking at different areas of life, a wide range of areas of life, uh, where we can grow in wisdom. First looked at Wisdom for our words, communication, uh, wisdom for our future plans, 
decisions that we make, wisdom for our friendships. So we looked at last week, and now we come to the topic of diligence and laziness. Everyone's favorite, right? Uh, wisdom for diligent living, for a diligent life. Let's say a word of prayer before we take a look at this. God, nobody likes to be called a sluggard. <laughs> and so we're asking that you would remove any defenses that we might have in our hearts, even maybe already when hearing these passages read. We pray that you would get all of us an open mind and an open heart and an open will, a desire to follow you, to love you, to know your love for us. And so please uh, train up our hearts and our lives. Please be present in this time. Make your word come alive. In Jesus' name, amen. I grew up in a desert, a real desert in Southern California. And that means that I grew up spending a lot of time as a young boy playing with ants. Black ants and red ants and purple ants. Tiny little ants and really big, scary ants. Watching them carry interesting objects like leaves and sticks far too big for them into their homes. Large ant hills, underground hills. Playing with a magnifying glass, frying the ants. Uh, oh, now I'm in trouble with some of you, right? Taking some of the different colonies of ants, mixing them together, watching them fight, <laughs> taking them, putting them in little jars, keeping them at home, watching them tunnel through in an amazing way, giving them, giving them little crystals of sugar, creating, as it were, a homemade ant farm. And so you might think, well, of course, since I spent so much time with ants, well, according to this first passage we looked at, then I should be a pretty wise person, or at least a diligent one, one overcoming struggles against laziness, right? Proverbs 6 here. We're told, of course, that we find in nature and places like ants, we find in real life tons of lessons that we're going to look at where the wise person, the person growing in wisdom, is in fact, in many respects, a hard-working person. You know, a surprising number of Proverbs are focused on the topic of hard work and laziness. On the diligent, on the one hand, and the sluggard, a favorite word of the authors of Proverbs, one that moves like a slug, slow and aimlessly. The question, of course, is what kind of wisdom is there for us in how we tackle the ordinary challenges of life? Diligence in our daily work, whether if that's in a warehouse or in an office or in a baby's nursery. The challenges of life found in housework, in relational work, in spiritual work, growing in our relationship with God. What does it look like to live what you might call a diligent life? And what we're going to look at, what we're going to see in these passages are answers to just a couple questions we'd love to raise. So first of all, what is diligence anyway? What really is it? What is diligence? Secondly, what isn't diligence? We'll flip that around for a second. 
Thirdly, why should we be diligent? And lastly, how can we become more diligent? What is diligence? What isn't it? Why should we become diligent? And how can we become more diligent? So first, what is diligence? Can I read first this passage? Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. A couple of quick lessons that we can learn here from the ant. (laughs) Number one, here quickly. Number one, the diligent work hard. We'll start with the obvious. The diligent work hard. In verse 8, the ant stores its provisions in summer, gathers its food at harvest. The sort of labor that you see in the natural world, a line of ants, you're familiar with the sight. Even in the summer, under the hot sun, the diligent are those who don't delay action, who actually tackle the challenges in front of them, who follow through on their plans, who in fact do work hard, we're told. Number two, the diligent are fruitful in their work. Not only do they work hard, they're actually fruitful in the hard work that they put in. We're told that the sluggard is warned that hard times can be a consequence of laziness. Verse 11, poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And that's because in general we're told that life goes better in general for those who are diligent. Verse 8, the ants have food to gather at harvest. Why? Well, because they stored up their provisions diligently. Proverbs 12, verse 11 says a similar thing, that those who work their land will have abundant food. Of course, this isn't a promise from God that just because you are diligent in life, therefore everything will work out according to your plan. No, but generally speaking, the way that God has made his world, the idea here is that more than we think, God actually blesses the effort we put into things. Our perseverance, our work. He works his blessings through our labor. And I think it's worth noting before we move on that in the case of the ant, in the case of all of us, that oftentimes the fruitfulness of this work, the harvest that results, isn't because ants are the most gifted or the most skilled or have the biggest bag of tricks. It's not because they're the strongest insects in the world that they are reaping a great harvest, it's because they're diligent. Day in and day out and moment in and moment out doing their work. Sometimes we really start to believe, don't we, that it's the most gifted, the most naturally talented people that do the best in life. The Proverbs here is telling us that sometimes may be the case, but more often than not, God's blessing flows more to those who are faithful and diligent to what God has put before them. Number three, the diligent are self-motivated. The ant works hard, even though, as 
Verse 7 points out it has no commander, no overseer or ruler. So the sluggard, the lazy person, can only get going when someone forces them to or threatens them or hovers over them. You know, maybe the the practical question is, what are you actually like when no one is watching? Uh, True diligence is revealed in those secret places. Uh, Because it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of character. It's something that comes from within. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But the diligent are self-motivated. Number four, the diligent look ahead. The ant, in fact, is planning ahead, right? Laboring and gathering food so that later on they'll get through the winter. The ant is someone who, who acts promptly without procrastinating without putting things off. Uh, The sluggard, on the other hand, we're told, uh, never looks ahead. Uh, Doesn't actually plan ahead. Uh, Verse 10 is interesting because we're told that, uh, uh, warns that a little sleep, uh, a little slumber, a, a little folding of the hands to rest, in the end could add up cumulatively to disaster in life. So in that moment, you wouldn't think that it were that big of a deal. A daily act of laziness, a small habit, those sorts of things that actually could add up to disaster. Because the sluggard is one that only has a short-term perspective, can only think about what do I want right now, can't plan ahead, will procrastinate, only looks for instant gratification, whereas the diligent person is one who knows that short-term pain and sacrifice is often needed for future benefits. They understand what Proverbs 15 is saying in verse 19, that the way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. The way of the sluggard is always blocked somehow with thorns. It's sort of illustrated in life when you think about the dishes that pile up when I'm not doing them at home. If you would just chip away at them little by little, it would be an easy task. But the longer you put them off, out of laziness in my case, let's say, the harder it is to get the gunk off. It's a little more crustified. It's a little bit more work. It ends up being more work in the end than it would have been if it was approached with a little daily diligence. In other words, that proverb is telling us it's always harder to complete tasks when you delay or procrastinate. Procrastinate. Even if you do actually get going, problems get bigger. Things start to become more complicated. Life actually is harder for the sluggard. Challenges actually do become bigger for them because of their sluggardliness. Whereas the path of the upright, the wise, the diligent is a highway. Things happen. Doors open. God blesses that diligence. Number five, the diligent step up to challenges. Lastly, number five. So the diligent work hard, they're fruitful in their work. Secondly, they're self-motivated, they look ahead. And then lastly here, the diligent step up to challenges. You see, the sluggard avoids challenges 
this is part of what they're getting at with this sleep thing. Uh, don't be so in love with sleep and let it dominate all of your life. Sleep can be one of the best ways to avoid challenges, a coping mechanism. What we're told here is that the sluggard is actually an expert avoider and an expert excuse maker. Look at verse uh, chapter 26, verse 13 in Proverbs. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming in the streets. I can't go out to work. I'm going to get killed here. There's always something, some excuse some reason for their inaction. It's never their fault. It's something that they can always point to and say, that's why I can't do that work right now. The diligent, on the other hand, is one that tackles the challenge, works at it, goes at it, and is blessed by God in it. Now, let me pause here. Some of us really need to hear this, don't we? I mean, for some of us, this call to diligence really is a big need in a lot of areas of life. Some of us, some of you perhaps do need to get out of bed or get going or plan ahead better or be more fully engaged. Uh, What is it for you? What are areas of sluggardliness in your life, areas where you can grow in greater diligence or maybe... And maybe more importantly, you might be on the ball in certain areas of life, maybe even most areas of life. And maybe you're even telling yourself, well, I'm not a lazy person. Are you kidding me? But maybe there's that one area of life, that one area of life where you are making excuses or you are being avoidant. You know, maybe that one relationship or that one quirk you have in the way you relate to people, that one area of the house or your housework, uh, that, that one part of life or that one part of your job or something that you know you are intentionally avoiding, even neglecting, not being faithful to, where some of these cautionary words about sluggardliness can apply. What is it for you? Of course, here's the thing. For others of us, some of us, you're listening to this And maybe you just want to leave. (laughs) Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I am just so tired and you just made me more tired. I'm already dying of guilt and you just made me feel more guilty for the things I'm not getting done. Uh, The misunderstanding of passages like this is that this call to diligence, the wisdom that these passages are giving us, is simply a call to work longer, uh, to work harder, to sleep less, to get busier, to sweat more, to get out there. Uh, You know, this country has a weird relationship with work already as it is, doesn't it? This city, for goodness sakes. You know, in this country, we, we, we already do, according to some studies, work among the most hours among any advanced country, In the world, uh, right behind South Korea and Japan, of Japan, of course, being a place where they've actually had to invent a word for dying at your desk. There's actually a word for that. Death from overwork, right? So being third place doesn't necessarily mean we're in a good place. 
We are as a whole busy, fidgety, anxious, fast-moving, performance-worshipping, suffering physically even from nervous breakdowns, ulcers, burnout, in some cases even suicide. To dare to call somebody lazy feels anathema, even personally offensive. What do we do with this? How can we understand this? This is why we have to understand, secondly, what diligence is not. What is this passage not telling us? It's important to understand this. Diligence is not busyness. Diligence is not simply busyness. Check out Proverbs 12, verse 11. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. So here's a person in the second half of that proverb who's being described as one who chases fantasies. They are chasing. They are pursuing. They are laboring. They are working. They're very active. They might even be exhausted, and yet the passage is calling him or her a fool. It is possible to be very, very busy and to have completely misdirected and mischanneled your energy to the wrong thing in the wrong place. Just because you're breaking a sweat doesn't mean you're diligent. I have this picture in my head that I've been looking at a lot and picturing a lot in my head, and that is of my son, who is currently trying to figure out the fine art of crawling. And so he, for the most part, is getting his limbs oriented in the right way, and when he sees an object in front of him, you hear him make noises that expresses his enthusiasm to tackle that thing, and you see him lunging his shoulders towards that object, and you see him working at it, and when you watch him, though, slowly he is scooting backwards, uh, moving further and further away from that toy that he desperately now wants. Of course, he is literally dripping with sweat because he's my child and is, before you know it, half lodged underneath the couch because he's backed himself into such a terrible predicament. What a picture of so many of us who are laboring so hard, working so hard, yet you're moving in the backwards direction that perhaps God has called you to move. The Proverbs here is not trying to simply get you to work harder. It's trying to teach us how to work smarter with better character and an enlarged faith with a right sense of priorities. Uh, In other words, this is not a celebration of busyness because, in fact, sometimes we are busy precisely because we are lazy. Uh, Let me break that down for you uh, just a little bit. Eugene Peterson is a pastor and an author, and he wrote a a wonderful book for pastors called The Contemplative Pastor, and he talked about this issue of how often pastors are just overwhelmed with this sense of busyness. And he sort of talks through that in one chapter And he says this, and I've lingered on these words and been convicted by it, sometimes discouraged by it, and come back around to it again. And I think it applies beyond just pastoral work to all of us. I'd like to read it to you. He says this, I am busy because I am lazy. 
What does he mean? I indolently, I lazily let others decide what I will do. I lazily let others decide what I will do instead of resolutely deciding myself. Because it takes work to plan and schedule. It takes effort, in fact, to say no to people's demands. Listen to what he says. By lazily abdicating or surrendering the essential work of deciding and directing, of establishing values and setting goals, other people do it for us. Then we find ourselves frantically at the last minute trying to satisfy a half dozen different demands on our time, to stave off the disaster of disappointing someone. How much of our uh, our busyness actually is owing in part because of our inability or our refusal to jump on top of a given responsibility, which might be a mountain, it might be really significant in your life, not saying it's simple or easy, but where we're to use our God-given abilities to plan and to put out and set out goals and priorities and to pursue them and then to let go of the rest, embracing our limitations as human beings, knowing that we can't do it all. How much of our busyness is actually driven, in fact, by laziness? And how much of our busyness actually appears to be and even feels like productivity, and in fact, it is not. It reminds me of my college years, all of them. (laughs) How many hours spent in the library? You know, you sit there and you almost wish you could go back and do it all over again. Hours spent with books open, backpacks hauled out, life covered with stress and guilt and this sense of needing to do more and yet so little actually being done, right? Hours spent at the library, but just hanging out. You know, chatting with friends on the computer. Oh, we have so much work to do. Oh, we're studying so hard. When in fact, you could get much more done working harder and perhaps even playing harder as well. If we understand it rightly, diligence, the biblical kind of diligence that Proverbs is talking about, should result in a better rested life as well. A better rested life as well. To be diligent is not just to be busy, it's to be alert and alive to the things of God. It's to have a heart full of the joy of the Lord where you see everything in life as the blessing that it is and every opportunity as the gift purchased for you by the blood of Jesus. An opportunity to love and to serve and to express the royal presence of God in all of life. It's finding energy from being someone that's saved by the grace of God. It's being attentive to the things of this world because you know that God has been attentive to you. It's energetic labor that arises out of the joy of the gospel and a relationship with God. Not just busyness, but joyful energy that comes from God. Thirdly, then, why should we be diligent? What's it for? Okay, what it is and what it isn't, but why should we even care to be diligent? Two things quickly, service and satisfaction. 
service and satisfaction. Proverbs 21, verse 25, the craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. Again and again, the book of Proverbs resounds this message. The lazy person is a selfish person. The person that's just simply trying to preserve energy and life and opportunity only for themselves. The only thing that drives them are their own cravings and their own desires, whereas the righteous person, the diligent, wise person, is someone that in the end gives without sparing. Here's a motive of diligently applying yourself to your work, your relationships, your spirituality, everything in front of you. It's to have more to give away. It's to be able to serve people, to be able to love people with the time that you have, with the money and the gifts that you've been given, physical resources, spiritual resources, insights and emotional wealth that you have, even the work itself that you do to see your job day to day as a way of serving God's world and the people around you. And how different is that? from the more typical ways in which we try to motivate ourselves to be diligent. Work harder because you're better than a lazy fool. What is that? Pride. Or work harder. Get off your seat and get out of bed and and, and work because if you don't, then God is going to hate you and people are going to discard you. What is that fear or guilt? How about love as a motive? Selfless love. Diligence as a way of serving others around you. Secondly, not just service, but satisfaction. Satisfaction. Proverbs 13, verse 4, A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. And so if you work hard, we're told in this one proverb, diligently working at your crops or your field, your stomach will be filled, literally, Your appetite will be satisfied. But more than that, there's a satisfaction of the soul. There's a contentment of heart. There's a sense of this is fulfilling for me to apply myself and to do good, hard work in life. And you know the feeling, whether if it's after a good workout or a good run. After a good conversation with a person in front of you, a friend, it wasn't an easy conversation, but it did give you some life. Of cleaning the house or cleaning your soul, of living life in a way where you are exerting your energy and devoting your gifts and your personality and your person to the world that God has made, it's satisfying, isn't it? In fact, because it's part of being made in God's image. Do you understand? You've been made by God, so you've been made to be a creator yourself. You've been made to be a contributor to God's world. It energizes you because it is in part what you were made for. It satisfies our heart. It satisfies our soul, which brings us lastly to this final point. How then do we become diligent? How is it that we become properly diligent? 
Neither underworking in laziness nor overworking in mere busyness. How does it happen? Look at chapter 19, verse 23 and 24. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. But a sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. What is it that keeps us from starting to live like the sluggard who buries his hand or his fork or his spoon into a dish of food and and then just calls it quits from there? It's too much work to even eat. What is the key? The fear of the Lord. Seeing God for all of His majesty, for all of His bigness, seeing God for who He is, seeing God as the maker of all things, the sovereign superintender over all things in this world. It starts with seeing God as God and me not as God. It starts with seeing Him as the one who's made this world And has now given this world as a stage, even a laboratory, to all of us to glorify Him and serve Him and His people on. To know God in that way, to have awe of that sort of God, starts to pick you up to say it is a joy to know this God and love this God and serve this God with even the littlest of things. To not simply sit around and let life pass me by. To not be sloppy with the gifts that I've been given because I've been made in the image of God with His dignity and His glory. And this world that has been given to me is a world that He felt was worth rescuing by the blood of His Son. So should it not then also be worth me giving my time towards To care about broken relationships and broken systems and broken stores and broken sidewalks and broken homes and all these ways in which we can apply ourselves with energy, with diligence. And the fear of the Lord and seeing God with this awe, which of course leads us to understanding His compassion in a new way. To say if God is that big and God is that great, then how is it that He could forgive me so? How is it that he could love me so? As the psalmist says, what is man that you're mindful of him? What am I and who am I that you would give your son to live and die and rise again for me? That our hearts would be filled with a deep sense that I am loved by God and I now belong to God through Christ my Savior. And what comes with that is a deep sense of inner rest that I'm no longer frantically trying to make a name for myself because I belong to the king, where I'm no longer just trying to use my gifts in order to use people and seem great in my own eyes, but rather I can lay myself down and become a servant of all because Jesus served me. There's an inner rest and even contentment of heart that the fear of God in the gospel of grace can give you and me, don't you see? We wouldn't think of it this way, but it takes rest to be diligent. It takes an inner quiet to have energy to serve. It takes gospel rest to energetically and diligently live as God has called us to live. And only this fear of God 
can rescue us from underworking and from overworking to make us the kind of workers in the world that God has called us to be. People that are now, by the grace of God, freed to work and to strive and to labor, not just to be busy and not to avoid it simply being lazy. It's diligence that arises from love for God Joy in God. Joy in the gospel because he's given us his son, the friend of sinners, the lover of our souls. We live this way because we've been loved this way and because we love him and those around us in return. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we're asking that you would give us what we need to live diligently and by faith. We pray that you would protect us from all kinds of misunderstandings, but rather that you would give us wisdom now to live and to respond and even to obey. But it all begins with a deep sense of the good news of Christ. And so we pray that even with this song, that you would fill our hearts, satisfy our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.
want to pause briefly and give us a time of Q&A. We like just interacting a little bit, give you a chance to digest or ask even tough questions. Uh, Never fear, you won't offend me or anyone, uh, even if you uh, bring different questions you have about God, big picture questions if you'd like to as well. This is a good time for that. Uh, But what questions do you have and how can we help you? If you can ask a question, that'll help our back and forth flow. And if you could actually word it in a way that everyone can understand, in other words, uh, translating technical terms if you happen to use them, because we always have a, a good mix of folks that are here. Questions? Yeah, Asia. Sure. Can can you spell out a little bit, Asia, in terms of the actual question? Is it that? Right. Yes. Right, and so just to just to clarify what you're getting at, but because so are you saying because these proverbs seem to suggest that simply if you work hard you should do well? Is that what you're getting at? Whereas that's not actually the case in history due to various things. Is that sort of the the frustration that's there? Yeah. Good. Good. Good, good, good. So, Aisha's bringing up a, a very important point about the more complicated dynamics of how people do in society, economically and otherwise, histories of oppression, structural injustices, ways in which it's not simply input A, output B, in terms of if you work hard, then you will be successful, or if you are successful, it was because you simply worked hard. And that's where it's important to understand that the Proverbs never said that. And if I, if I leaned it in that direction, uh, apologies from me personally, it's not what the Bible is saying. It is saying that generally speaking, there is a relationship between how we do in life and how we work. Generally speaking, God's blessing does operate through the energy and the efforts and the diligence that we apply to things. But in no way, and I think I said it briefly, almost in passing, is it a promise, right? No, no, and it is hard, partly because we're going to talk about the proverbs that touch on money in a couple of weeks, 
One of the ways that this has been misapplied, even some of these very passages have been misapplied, is to simply use it and say, anyone that struggles in poverty is only and necessarily someone that is lazy, right? And so in many cases throughout history, the church has actually concluded that, or people do hold that view. The Proverbs, even the Proverbs itself, but you look at the whole Bible as a wider scripture, has a much more complex understanding of economics. Uh, As you said, for some people, you work as hard as you can, but because of certain injustices, either you still don't make it make it in life in the same way that another might, or you don't even make it quite as far, and vice versa, certain privileges that folks can have that aren't uh, related to the amount of effort or diligence that they apply to. And the book of, of Proverbs does acknowledge that absolutely. We'll take a little bit of a look at that in a couple of weeks. But if, and I hear your heart, which is mainly the, ah, right? And so here we are with you. Ah, um, because it is a complicated thing. And just to say, it is important for us not to overly see this or apply this as a simple formula for success in life or a simple explanation for struggles in life. Great. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's really good. I know the Bible is perhaps the only religious document, can we call it that, uh, scripture, where you have a God who says, stop. A God who actually commands, commands us to rest. I mean, you can't even dream up a God like that. Uh, because every other faith tradition is God, is a God or portrays a God who basically says, what have you done for me lately? Rest is a uh, commitment that needs to be tied to faith in Christ. Jesus himself says, my salvation can be kind of summed up like this. Come to me if you're tired, I'll give you rest. Um, So absolutely, it's important for us to be able to find those places where we can stop, to know our limits. Uh, Even when there are things still to do, Sometimes faith means letting go and saying God will take care of it even when I can't or when I don't. Uh, It does take faith to stop. It takes trusting in God to be able to stop. Whether if it's your daily work or if it's a relationship that you're trying to fix, it takes faith to stop. Um, But it can be a complicated thing, right? I mean, what is it that led to our exhaustion in the first place? Sometimes it's things that are larger than us, like a job or a life situation that's beyond our control. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's my own heart because I'm approaching my work to justify my existence, (laughs) right? My whole identity is wrapped up in this thing, so I'm never going to leave the office or the warehouse. I'm never going to not work because then I'm nobody. Well, that can lead us into exhaustion too. So there are ways that we have to really unpack what's going on on several different levels, but certainly we'll start here, since we're talking generally, to affirm we got to get our rest. Um, intentional replenishment, not just checking out. God calls us to do that. It's a great question.
Was there something over here? A hand? Yeah, Anne, and then Margarita up there. Yeah. Maybe you guys get together and hang out then, right? No. Uh, yeah. It's a good question. You know, honestly, I don't have an easy answer off the top of my head or even from Scripture. The different, how do you know the difference between whether you're being busy or you're being diligent? I think some of it is the issue of purposefulness. Like, busyness is something that sometimes you really just become a victim of. And again, that whole thing of, like, we're busy sometimes. Not always. I hope that was clear. Not always. But sometimes we're busy because we're lazy. And, you know, how much are we actually uh, laboring to decide what's our priority? What are the ways that we're trying to devote ourselves? What are we saying no to? What are we going to let just pass? What are we going to let... What balls are we going to let hit the ground? And that's a deliberate decision so that we can be more focused and better devoted to the things that we feel like we need to be, right? And so I think some of it really is just a lot of honest work, as I always say here, in doing it in community, getting other eyes on you and saying, hey, what do you think? Am I, bu- am I just busy? Am I just frenzied, right? Or is this just a very full season in life that God has called me to be faithful? It's a great question. Margarita, last one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a part of, like, this society and society life. So do you have any recommendations for how to not, like, technology, like, Facebook and email and all these things and not, not just busy, 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 Let's work through this together in real life. Because some of it's going to be specific to different workplaces, um, different stations in life. Each of us, for some of us, it might be social media. For other people, it's the TV. For others, it's uh, different things. Um, But yeah, just to be able to work through and see, especially things that are just embraced uh, by society as being a normal thing, but actually may not be the best form of faithfulness. It's a good question. I mean, let's talk through stuff like that. In fact, we can even continue the conversation uh, downstairs over pizza. Uh, A great way uh, just to say, hey, so, are you lazy? Um, No. No, no, no. But to raise some of those questions. I mean, uh, of course, to get to know each other and build relationships, but also to grow together. It's a good thing. Good deal. Well, as our final piece of our service, I want to invite you to take communion. This is our... Uh, our meal with God, uh, a chance for us to receive from him, not only from his word, but also in physical form, the bread and wine and juice that gives us uh, grace from Jesus uh, to know that he loves you, um, that you can rest in him. So let me offer this table up to you as something that God invites you to come forward and be a part. Let me say a word of prayer here. Jesus, we pray your blessing upon this table because you promised that you'd be here. You promised you would feed us. You promised that you would strengthen us. And we need your strength, all of us. 
So many people are weary and tired, God, and we pray that as they limp to you, that you would give them water to their souls and give them the bread of life. Lift us up as you promised you would. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he broke bread with his disciples, saying, this is my body, he broke it for me. Take me and do this for remembrance of me. And after supper, he poured out the cup, saying, this is the new covenant, my blood, I poured out for the forgiveness of all your sins. Drink all. If you're not taking communion, maybe you're processing the Christian faith, but you know you're not quite there yet, uh, we love for you to hang around and still be in community together. You can jot down notes or uh, reflect and even pray. Um, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that you might use for yourself. Uh, but please hang around and uh, would love to walk with you and talk with you about your own journey. If you are coming forward and taking communion, we have three stations, two in the front, one in the back. We have bread and crackers for those with allergies, wine and juice. Uh, your choice. Please hang on to the cups and leave them in the big baskets before you leave the sanctuary today. Um, we, it's on your own time, so you can pop up right away and get in line, or you can sit in your seat and reflect and pray whatever you need personally. Uh, but come forward full of faith and receive more of Jesus in your soul. overhead, but also in your bulletins. It's called a prayer of belief, and anyone can use this one, whether if you're trying to figure out who God is, or if you're ready to take a step to start a new relationship with God, or if you're someone that just wants to refresh your own heart about what it means to know Jesus, let me pray this, and you can pray along. Dear God, you made me cared for me even before I knew you. I'm so weak and sinful, I admit it. But I also know that I'm loved and accepted by you because of your son. Jesus, thank you for taking the full punishment for my sin on the cross. You offer me forgiveness and new life, and I receive it. I receive you. I want to be more like you. Holy Spirit, please help me. God, I don't understand everything at this point but I understand enough to trust you and to love you because you first loved me. Amen. Amen. You you can take some of the words or phrases from that prayer and make it your own. But especially if you want to pray for the first time for real, uh, we'd love to talk with you. Talk about what it's like, what it means for you to start fresh with God, have a new relationship, a new beginning love to do that. We'll wrap up in just a second, so if you are 
planning on taking communion, but you haven't done that yet, go ahead and, and do so, and we'll wrap up in just a second.